Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. I'm Rob Spenning from Bike Radar and today I'm joined by Simon Bromley and Alex Evans. They are also from Bike Radar. This is one of our Tour de France special uh, podcasts. I guess it's for you to decide how special it actually is. Let's just call it a Tour de France podcast. Um, but first up, Simon, hello. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you, Rob. Yeah, very well. That's very good to hear. And Alex, how are you? I'm absolutely cracking. Thank you, Rob. Smashing. So I've said it's a Tour de France podcast. Um, there won't be any deep analysis in, in this one possibly, about the Tour de France, or you, you, you never know, we might might transgress. And that's not not just because Alex is mainly a mountain biker. Um, he, I'm sure he has plenty to say on the subject of professional bike racing, the Tour de France, I, I'm sure. But what I kind of wanted to ask, and this is, we're going to start the, start the podcast with a question, is if you are a cyclist, and it doesn't matter what kind of cyclist you are, but if you are a cyclist, in particular a road cyclist, but I think you don't call them mountain cyclists, but we'll call them mountain bikers. If you ride a bike, do you have to like the Tour de France? It's a wide-ranging question that will lead on to other questions. I'm going to start with our resident road cyclist and I'm pretty sure professional bike racing fan, Simon. To be a cyclist, do you have to like the Tour de France and on a slightly wider level, professional cycling so the obvious answer is of course you don't have to like the tour de france but if you asked me should you like the tour de france i would say the answer is 100 yes but it's an interesting one and i think until you kind of posed this as a potential topic of conversation rob i hadn't really considered that there would be any road cyclists especially who don't like the Tour de France. So it, it, it did kind of, it's kind of piqued my interest a little bit, Rob, but when you said that you, you know, you, you weren't really that much into the Tour de France anymore. And, but obviously I see it, <laughs> I see it as a kind of wonderful kind of celebration of all the best things of, of road cycling. Um, but obviously there are other ways to look at it, aren't there? There absolutely are. Before I, I, I confess to to my feelings now towards the Tour de France and so I, I guess professional um, road cycling, I, I don't work for a professional road cycling magazine or website, so you know I, I can kind of get away with it. Alex, you're a mountain biker um, by trade. Do you like the Tour de France? Do you know what? I, I I used to not be able to stand it. I genuinely could not stand watching it. Why not? Come on, why not? I found it incredibly boring. I found it really inaccessible. And I couldn't understand what the entire faff was about. Closing roads, ruining people's days, having an absolute nightmare through any town that they came through. And, then and you did. You lived changed. in France, didn't you? I mean, so let, let's... I, I actually lived in a town where they had the uh, Tour de France finish on multiple times and start on other times, plus two really quite big cols, you know, that, that kind of made up one of the largest elements of the tour. And when the tour was in town, it was a complete nightmare. It was a massive pain. You couldn't do anything. You couldn't go anywhere. 
and I couldn't stand it. And uh, do you know what? Now I absolutely love it. I genuinely can't get enough of it. So what has happened there? Is it so? In so basically, your reason for not liking the Tour de France was it was a massive personal inconvenience to you <laughs> when you lived in France. Could it be that you no longer live in France? You hate the I, Tour of Britain now, but you love the Tour de France. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tour de Britain can't stand it. What a nightmare! No, no, no. Not not quite fair. Um, I, I liked it whilst I was there. Actually, my my kind of opinion did a full full U turn. Quite happy to admit that that I did a U-turn on it. But I, I can genuinely understand why some people might not like it. And, you know, it, it was like the inaccessibility of it as someone who didn't quite understand the technicalities of the training, what the stages meant, the level of um, professionalism that felt so kind of elitist just for that average cyclist. Um, it, it kind of put me off for quite a long time. Hmm. So when you say the sort of inaccessibility, is it, it was it for you as as a as a not a pro cyclist but as a mountain biker as well? Was it the idea that it, it was it you, you were living in France, so surely it wasn't words like peloton and uh, and mosette and things like that. You you, were, you you understood all that, but was it just the, the the idea of you didn't understand what the tactics were? I mean, you said it was. Did you say it's boring stuff like that? I mean, is the inaccessibility because it. it it's obviously when you're in France and if you're particularly in an area where the tour is, it's really accessible. Maybe not this year, but it is in, you can just get onto a mountain, you can get onto the high street, you can see stuff coming through. It's it's a, it's free, you don't have to pay. You get stuff thrown at you that you can take home. Again, probably not this year. Um, you know, but for someone living in the UK, um, certainly in the past, it, it, it wasn't as widely accessible on television as, as it was. As it, as it is now. So I'm just sort of intrigued by that inaccessibility idea. Sure, yeah, absolutely. And I guess it's like an extension of the television thing. It was it was more that I didn't understand what was going on. And I think for someone who's maybe just a casual cyclist that's aware of what it is and happens upon it just by pure chance in France and manages to, to watch it because they're on holiday there or whatever, they're not going to understand what it all means when the guys come shooting past at 30 miles an hour going uphill, which, by the way, is absolutely bonkers to see in real life when they're on a sprint finish. But what, what does that mean? You know, you see them for 30 seconds. There's a group of people. There's a couple of breakout guys. And I'm just like, what's going on? Who's won? Where's the race? What's happened? And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't fathom it. And there was the build-up to it. You know, there was the whole kind of carnival beforehand the massive procession, and then all of the sirens, the you know the fire engines, the ambulances, the police motorbikes, the whole thing. I was just like, whoa, overwhelmed. What is going on here? And I couldn't deal with it. It was it was too much for me to process. Not understanding kind of the intricacies and the detail of the racing. So Simon, what you know, you obviously don't think it's inaccessible. You, you know, you have been a fan for a long time. You're you're a young man, but you know, you've been <laughs> you've been a Tour de France fan, man and boy. <laughs> yeah, I think you know, I, I agree that the kind of the intricacies of road cycling and especially the Tour de France can be quite inaccessible because, as as sort of Alex said, there's a lot going on. There's different riders. It's not just about who crosses the line first every day. It's about who's kind of leading on the time or on points or maybe the mountains classification or maybe who's winning the most attacking rider of the day competition. And they didn't actually win at all. That was a jury awarded. So there there are a lot of things. But I think 
as Alex said, the kind of the magic of the Tour de France, to use that lovely journalistic term, is in the kind of carnival atmosphere that surrounds it. Um, and I think if you're a road cyclist who hasn't taken the opportunity to visit France when the Tour de France is on, and in particular visit some of the mountains, like the Alps or the Pyrenees, or you know perhaps even just a stage finish at one of the, the major the major towns, you know in, in Paris and perhaps it, you've you, you haven't really experienced what the Tour de France has to offer, because. I agree. You know, if you if you just turn on the Tour de France in the middle of a of a sprint stage, you see the bunch kind of rolling along at as as Alex said at kind of you know thirty miles per hour through a kind of field of sunflowers, and there's not really anything going on. And you might sit there for four hours and not really see anything happen. And you know, a large a large part of the demographic of people who actually tune in to watch the France uh, the Tour de France tends to be retirees who are watching it for the lovely vistas of France. <laughs> so I can see why you wouldn't like, you wouldn't like it if, if that was kind of your only experience. And of course, we, you know, if you drive a car, we don't expect all drivers to be into Formula One, but there is a carnival aspect to the Tour de France that is truly unlike anything else I've ever experienced in sport. I think you hit on something there, Simon, and this is kind of where my, I suppose my question came from, was that idea that if you are, if you turn up somewhere on a road bike in particular, and it's during a, a stage race or, or any kind of, or the world championships or, or whatever it is, or the Olympics, you turn up on a road bike somewhere and there are other road cyclists and you get chatting to them, there's a really good chance that someone will say, oh, so what do you think of what so-and-so did on today's stage or, or, or what about the scandal involving X? or what? Um, and so there is this, I guess you could say there would be an assumption that because you are riding a bike, you're dressed in Lycra, you know, unless you are in your Ineos kit or your Team Sky kit or whatever it were, it, that, you know, whatever you are, are dressed up as, um, you are just a cyclist because you wouldn't turn up to B&Q in your Skoda Fabia estate, get out of that and someone sort of come up to you and say, oh, what do you think of Lewis Hamilton then? Eh? I had a good race today. It, it, I mean, it's a terrible analogy, but it's kind of that thing. Or um, if, uh, yeah, I was going to say, if you're wearing a Spurs shirt and someone, someone would have, you probably do like Spurs, but, you know, it, that, it's that kind of assumption that you, or, or if you are doing park run, uh, and of the, the millions of people that do part run doesn't mean you have to watch the Olympics, uh, but uh, and and actually it does happen in running. Having a running background, there is kind of that assumption that you know the ins and outs of whatever Carly Canucci was doing when he was running, or old or Mo Farah and stuff like that. Um, so that was kind of work. And, and then my sort of take on it is I absolutely loved the Tour de France before I was a cyclist and this is back in the 80s when it was on Channel 4 as I mistakenly said uh, to Ned Bolting when in another podcast that you can listen to very well worth listening to another one of our podcasts in, uh, I meet Ned Bolting or does Ned Bolting meet me who knows but it's very entertaining was you know I was really into the Tour de France then and that was when it was just highlights it wasn't live you know it, maybe that's it maybe I had a short attention span it was 30 minutes with Phil Liggett and Paul Show and just sort of Again, take it. And before I was retired, it was taking you through France. We'd never been to France. Um, my parents never took us on foreign holidays. 
Um, so it was exotic and I loved it. And then I, you know, uh, my first experience of the Tour de France was the 2007 tour in when it came to London. And that was basically a big booze up, if I'm honest. I went into London, had some French wine, red wine whilst watching the, the tour. And I loved that. But then over the years, I've sort of been actually involved in cycling as a cycling journalist. I've sort of fallen out of love with it. Maybe so much has happened. Maybe Lance happened, whatever. But Simon? Do you think the Tour de France has perhaps lost some of its luster in recent years? Obviously, there was a huge moment around the kind of Olympics and Bradley Wiggins winning the Tour in 2012. But especially in road cycling in recent years, there's been a move away from cycling on the road in Britain in particular and in America because the roads are simply quite a hostile environment to cycle on. And so we've seen the rise of things like gravel cycling, randoneering, you know, bike packing, uh, and obviously, you know, mountain biking is, you know, still very, very popular. So I wonder if that kind of this ideal that people thought they might have. They'd pick up the bike and they'd be like Bradley Wiggins. You know, they go along those lovely European roads and ride up a nice big mountain and feel incredible. And obviously, you know, when the actual experience of riding on the road in the UK can often be quite demoralizing. And I wonder if perhaps that has had something to do with it. Are you saying we may have hit peak um, mammal, as they were known, middle-aged men in Lycra, but you know, there were middle-aged women in Lycra as well. Let's not discriminate. You know, that we hit that. Uh, uh, you know, actually, that's a very interesting theory, and it's one that I kind of maybe subscribe to a little bit. Is loads of people took up cycling, particularly during 20, the, the early 2010s, 2011, 2012, when Britain were doing really well, particularly in the UK, and bought a road bike, started road cycling, and then probably started thinking, you know what, like you said, the roads aren't always the greatest place to be, which probably works in advantage of you guys over on mountain biking, Alex. Well, I, I was, yeah, I was going to say, you know, it's, it's kind of encouraging people to get to the mountains, but it, it's also maybe an advantage for the tour because people can live vicariously through the stars on TV. You know, they, they can buy all the kit, they can have all of that side of it. They don't necessarily need to go and do battle on the roads with with car drivers, they can live through their stars on the television in the middle of France at the comfort of their own home. Mm. Wow. <laughs> That's quite yeah. And it's often said about cycling in particular uh, that it's the only sport you can, I suppose you can do on the same equipment. You know, none of us can drive a McLaren F1 car. Um, I mean, obviously we could and we do a really good job because it's, you know, it's just the car, isn't it? It's not the person, <laughs> honest. Um, that's what F1 fans are going crazy. I'm an F1 fan, by the way. Um, but, and not, and actually, why did I say McLaren? You, as an F1 fan, that was a really bad car to choose. Anyway, we'll move <laughs> on. Let's go back in Mercedes is what I meant. Um, but, you know, you can ride the bikes that, that, that Ineos ride. You can ride the same bike as Peter Sagan. I mean, Alex, is there sort of in mountain biking... Is there a similar sort of, you know, if you're a mountain biker, I, I, I don't know this, but I think if I went to a trail centre on my mountain bike, people are much less likely to assume that I care about the Enduro World Championship Series. As you can tell, I don't. <laughs> What's it called? <laughs> Enduro World Series, yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. you're, you're, I know you're, you're completely right. Um, there's 
there's definitely a large emphasis on an experiential element to mountain biking. There's a lot less um, fanaticism of, you know, I'm oh, I'm into racing and that's kind of the entire embodiment of my sport. It, it's, you know, I want to go out there to the mountains and have fun. And maybe that does link in quite nicely to, you know, Simon's point about how riding on the roads in certain places in certain countries at certain times isn't necessarily the most pleasant experience. And um, yeah, completely. And and yeah. I think that's a really interesting point, Alex, that mountain biking has a greater focus on the experience and the fun aspect. And I think that's something, you know, certainly I've been caught up in the past of seeing cycling in the main part as a sport and not as a kind of, you know, a, a mode of active transport or a kind of lifestyle choice. Uh, and there is, especially in road racing, a, a kind of a desire to be pro. You know, we all, you know, I shave my legs, which is ridiculous. <laughs> um, but I do it because it's the kind of, you know, the fast thing to do, right? And we all, you know, there, there, especially again in road cycling, there is a kind of drive to be improving, to be getting fitter, to be measuring yourself, you know, all of these kind of things that, you know, perhaps take away from the enjoyment of cycling. You know, when we were, well, when I was a kid, not that long ago, you know, we rode our bikes just for the kind of feeling of the wind in your hair. And, but nowadays when I go out, I, you know, obviously cause I work at bike radar, but I've got two power meters, you know, I, I wear an aero helmet. I'm concerned about the tightness of my kit and, you know, my condition and things like that. And, and does road cycling need to get away from that if it ever really wants to become a kind of mass participation sport? So do you think that the, the Tour de France is, is propagating that problem? Potentially, yeah, because there, there's a, there, you know, especially within the Tour de France, there's a focus on being very, very lightweight and very, very fit. Cycling is a physical sport at the end of the day. But, there, you know, if you take something like football, players are celebrated for their physical fitness, but they're also celebrated for their skill. And people who play five-a-side football don't sit there thinking, oh, I want to be as fit as Lionel Messi. They want to be able to have his skill. And so I wonder if cycling as a kind of, you know, when it's appealing to fans, puts too much emphasis on that fitness aspect. Because, you know, not it, it's this, you know, this whole idea of like, oh, if you just work hard enough, you can be anything you want to be. But of course, we all know that if you want to be a Tour de France professional, you need to be born with the correct genes. I mean, there's obviously quite an uh, emphasis on the fitness and in the past there's obviously been a bit of an emphasis on other stuff that <laughs> helps your fitness i mean is that that's i wonder how that now even now that that, that cycling is, is cleaning up its act and is probably cleaner than it has been in in decades how do you think that is seen by you know new people coming into cycling mountain bikers in particular you know um how do how do they look at because it, it does affect how people view us as riders when we're riding around in you know our bike radar kit or a lycra kit you you will get someone who probably not certainly not a cyclist but sees you on a bike in lycra and, and will shout druggy at you sometimes it, it, it's happened it's happened to me i mean i was smoking a massive split <laughs> i wasn't 
yeah, I, I agree. Um, there's definitely a stigma attached, and um, you know the idea of lycra, leg shaving, drug taking, and the wrong sorry, the right type of bad drugs, or is it the wrong type of bad drugs? I'm not quite <laughs> sure where the line is there. Um, has a real um, lack of coolness about it for the mountain biker comrades, you know, of the road cycling guys. You know, you, I mean, when you're a younger lad, there's not a chance in hell I'd have ever been seen in Lycra or even shaving my legs. And, you know, I still don't shave my legs, but I definitely wear Lycra now. Um, and, you know, c- completely. It, it's, it, is, it is severely stigmatised. But I would say to those people who do have, like, a preconception of it, tune in to the Tour de France watch a mountain stage and you will be absolutely blown away and riveted to that tv screen i know i am and you know some bits are a bit dull but you know you've got the commentary you've got the scenery but then you see these guys going up up the climbs like they are with their massive amounts of power stamina fitness incredible skill as well on the downhills let's not forget and it's fascinating to watch it is absolutely awe-inspiring it's incredible you know, it blows my mind. And this is someone who's a downhill and enduro fanatic, used to race downhill World Cups myself, and really appreciate the skill there. But my God, well, humble these brag there, Al. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Just thought I'd drop that in. I'll pick it up later. Don't worry, guys. I'll pick it up later. Um, but, you know, these guys, they could rip everyone, a new one, on the climbs. They are insane. It is absolutely phenomenal. And I think maybe that's kind of what swung me through the 180 degrees is actually watching the physical prowess. I mean, what is it that you get from, and we can stick with the Tour de France, but both of you, you know, what do you get from watching? Because this is a really wide question. Is what, Why do we watch professional sport? Because if you think about it, you know, sitting down for four or five hours in the summer indoors if you if you are watching a full stage or on tv live and watching some men ride a bicycle is a bit odd and then if you say what did you do at the weekend well i watched 22 blokes i've never met who earn a huge amount and so much more money for me kick a ball around and try to get it in between two sticks what did you watch? I just watched a bloke driving a car around Silverstone. It, it, when you sort of look at what, what, what a weird thing to do. I mean, you could argue that for anything. At least when we go out riding bikes, there's a reason we're doing it to get fit. We may be taking part in a race. We're doing a sport team. We're, we're bettering our skills out on, the, out on the trails. But actually sitting and watching the Tour de France, what do you think you get from it? What is it that you get from watching professional bike racing? I think it's a yeah, it's a really interesting question, and I don't think it's one I've ever really asked myself. But I, I yeah. ask the hard questions. <laughs> it, I, I, it's really yeah, it's really hard to tell, isn't it? But it kind of, as you say, it kind of comes back to why do we watch sport at all? And I, you know, I, I don't know if it's something to do with it's kind of like a controlled. You know, I think maybe as humans, because we all share the same kind of basic physical properties, there's something in watching someone who has mastery of a physical thing or a skill that we can all appreciate. And obviously, it really helps if, you know, if you take part in a certain skill, then seeing someone who, you you know, you can kind of get better insight, perhaps, into the 
the real skill required to to do that sport you know for example like if you've never played golf it's very difficult to watch golf because it's in just dreadfully boring unless you know how hard it is to play golf and of course if you've tried to play golf and then you suddenly realize blimey this is incredibly hard then all of a sudden when you're seeing someone a master of that skill doing so well then it can become quite engaging so i think it's that yeah it's it, it's that kind of thing and and I, you know but the tour de france i think as alex says it has that you know kind of uniquely you know un, unlike other sports like football takes place in a stadium and there is a certain amount of spectacle there but there is a kind of spectacle that you get in cycling and in particular at the tour de france where they cross the landscapes you know drag themselves up you know some of the big the largest mountains in the world under only their own steam and then come off those mountains descending at speeds of you know over 100 kilometers an hour sprinting to a finish line in a bunch of 200 riders shoulder to shoulder at 70 kilometers an hour there's something i think the bicycle is a really special tool invention that just through the kind of magic of gears we turn our own human power into this kind of speed and there's just something yeah there's something about watching people you know the kind of the the pinnacle of that that as as alex says yeah i I find it incredibly inspiring and incredibly exciting how would you uh would you concur yeah definitely i think it's it's all about it's all about the inspiration isn't it it's all about inspiration and aspiration and admiration all the asians Mm. um, (laughs) across the nations across the nations exactly um I look at these guys and, you know, I just think, wow, if only, if only I could be that good, that fit, that whatever. And it, it, it transcends sport as well, doesn't it? You know, it, it transcends to driving, to golf, to mountain biking, to football, to whatever. You know, you, you see these guys and you're like, wow. And that's why they become role models and they become heroes until maybe they do something a little, little miscreant, a little <laughs> naughty. naughty. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it is, isn't it? There's that kind of, you touched on a lot of things there, both of you. And, and it's that it's that thing of watching someone else at the peak of their ability doing something incredibly well. Something, and, and as, you know, I've sort of come in saying, well, I, 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 you know, I don't watch Tour de France as much as I do. I don't enjoy it as much as I do. But there are still moments I just love watching it. You know, I just love sitting down, watching it, admiring the guys as they were, you know, any professional sports person doing what they do really well. I could watch almost any sport, including bowls. Um, and it's seeing someone at the peak of their powers doing something incredible. It's, it's an emotional thing, isn't it? You know, I'm a big football fan. Um, so World Cups and European Championships uh, um, get me going more than they really should. Tottenham seasons don't anymore. <laughs> but, you know, there's that emotional expression that you have from watching. You know, where I, rem- yeah, I remember watching not so much Bradley Wiggins at the Tour de France because that was kind of over a long period. But, you know, Brad doing the, the time trial at at the 2012 ga- uh, Olympic Games and sort of, you know, that emotional express- ex- experience you get when you get t- pulled into someone just about, they're going to win, they're going to win, and that, that gets really good. But also the other thing that you, you talked about is actually from cycling, probably more than anything else, and the Tour de France, the Giro, and, the, uh, and I put the Tour de France and the Giro there, the Vuelta perhaps, 
they're aesthetically pleasing, aren't they? They are just really nice to watch the the countryside, but also the the sort of the poetry of of over a hundred people on bikes riding in close quarters. Sort of this big, I suppose, snake going across the countryside. It's kind of uh, it's 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 incredible to see, isn't it? Um, that's my little love note, my love, my love story, my love note to to the Tour de France. I've, I've, you've ch- I've changed again, flip flopped. <laughs> we've we've brought you around. I, I've I think, U-turned in this summer of U-turns. Yeah, and I I, th- I think you kind of touched on it there that it has that you know one of the other special things about the Grand Tours in particular is that they it's not just a kind of one a single day they take place over three weeks you know Bradley Wiggins famously quipped that it was the only sporting event which you might need a haircut in the middle of (laughs) and it's yeah you know you get so many highs and lows you know you have a rider who might crash in the opening week soldier on and then maybe do something heroic in the final week and it's you know it's it's just I think, as Al said, it's kind of it can be it can be very inspirational because you think, well, this guy has trained his entire life to to reach this point, and he's not going to let, you know, uh, I mean, Garrett Thomas broke his pelvis in I think the 2014 Tour de France and carried on and and finished the race, and you think, wow, if he can overcome something like that and the kind of the pain and suffering to achieve his goal then, you know, I might not be Garrett Thomas and I might not be able to train and, and enter the Tour de France next year, but, you know, I can probably go out on the bike twice a week more. And, <laughs> and with, that, you know, with that broken toenail of yours, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, you'll be all right. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think, yeah, there's, there's something unique about the Tour de France and the fact that it takes place over such a long time and you get that real narrative and the high and you experience the highs and lows with people um, that you just don't, you know, obviously you get those over the course of a, of a football season or perhaps a, you know, a career in other sports, but cycling has a, a real ability to compress those stories down into, into three weeks of excitement. So I, I've already mentioned my football allegiances, but when it comes to cycling and cyclists, do you find yourselves, do you have like five favorite cyclists? Do you have people that you you know, you you are emotionally invested in them. You mentioned Garrett there. You know, when Garrett was Garrett Thomas was gunning for to win the Tour de France. So, you know, the emotional investment. I think that I think to me that's really important. If I look at the start line of the Tour de France and I think I'm not really that bothered about Bernal or what um, Tom Dumoulin's up to, that kind of helps. But if there's someone in there, and I'm afraid I'm I'm terribly, it sounds awful, but I can be quite patriotic. So, I, you know, if there's a, a British rider, you think, well, he, he's going to do really well. You know, I, I've got sort of history with uh, Chris Boardman. And David Miller was uh, had a massive man crush on David Miller, fan crush, I should say, on David Miller. And there's a story there, not that kind of story, but I won't bore you with it. Uh, and then, you know, Bradley Wiggins and, and Garrett Thomas. You can't, can't, I find if I'm emotionally invested in a rider, I'm much more uh, interested in race to the point that one, if they crash and drop out, it's like, nah, race is done for me. Uh, or is that just me? I think for the from the casual casual watcher's perspective, I mean, obviously, I know who the majority of the big names are, but I don't have a particular favourite um, beyond a little bit of patriotism. Yeah, just like you, Rob. 
Um, but f- for me, I'll, I'll either gun for the person who's winning at the moment or maybe an underdog. Oh, glory um, hunter. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> completely. One or the other. And, and you kind of think like, well, you know, even if you don't know them and the back backstory behind all of the competition and everything that's going on, you can still get a compelling story by, you know, just that momentary flit of investment into into one person, regardless of who it is, because you're guaranteed to get to get a fun ride with them on on the Tour de France. And I think, you know, it's kind of comes back around again to to you know how, how much how much awesome it is, how awesome it is. I guess probably Simon's maybe got a slightly different opinion, but. Yeah, I suppose so. I I, th- I think you know, like you guys, there's a certain level of of patriotism to my uh, preferences with riders, and you know, I did get into cycling just before the kind of British cycling revolution at the Tour de France. So I did, you know, I I, I suppose if you'd asked me in 2012 who my favourite cyclist was, I may well have said Bradley Wiggins, but. As I've kind of gotten slightly older, my, you know, I, I do appreciate riders, you know, less for their kind of like nationality and more for their characteristics. You know, it was quite difficult last year um, to, you know, to, 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 obviously, you know, like I can relate to someone like Geraint Thomas, but also it's so hard to watch someone like Julian Alaphilippe and not think oh wouldn't it be incredible if a rider like him won the tour de france because he's he's he doesn't doesn't ride with the kind of conservatism that is often required of tour de france winners and when he kind of faltered a little bit it really you know it was an opportunity for someone like Geraint thomas but then you also had that thinking of oh but this is a shame to see this go so yeah, I, I think I can I can see it from both sides, I think. And just to show that I'm not just a, a little Englander, <laughs> Thomas Verkler, you know, you, how could, when, when when you were watching him, how could you not get emotionally involved in Tommy Verkler, sort of tongue out, climbing a mountain, top open, yeah. knowing that he's in the yellow jersey, and but just knowing he's not going to be in the yellow jersey come the end of that race. That kind of emotion is, that that's what sort of, when I when on the on the years when I'm hot to the Tour de France, I suppose that's the kind of thing where I do. I, I mean, so we started this all. Do you have to like the Tour de France if you're a cyclist? And, I, and the answer is absolutely no. Of course you don't. You really don't. If you ride a bike, just ride a bike. If you want to watch the Tour de France, watch the Tour de France. However, uh, I guess the question is, if you are new to cycling, you just ride a bike, and you think, you know what, I've got absolutely no interest in the Tour de France. What could you learn as a cyclist? What would make you a better cyclist watching the Tour de France? Or, you know, how we could chat that open, you know, what make would make you a better mountain biker watching the Enduro World Series or or any or or the Olympic cross country race? You know, what what can you learn from these professionals? Because we we've said they're they're at the pinnacle of their career. They look great on bikes. They what can we learn? Teach me. Teach me. Wow, you've gone uh, you've gone deep there, Rob. That's I, I'm, I'm gonna have to do a Simon and say, "Whoa, that's a tricky question. I've never thought about <laughs> yeah. that before." Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I suppose it's like we're magazine journalists, we're we're um, website journalists. Are the laziest thing we can ever do, and we will do it. I, I'm not going to apologise. Is X like a pro? You know, it's climb like a pro, descend like a pro. Uh, 
pedal like a pro, eat like a pro, sleep like a pro, go to the lavatory like a pro, you know, <laughs> which is actually, that is something you can learn from pro, uh, pro, pro riders in the peloton is how to urinate on a bike. That's a different podcast. Yeah, I mean, except for urinating whilst you're on the go, I, th- I think it's the, the sharpness and that um, instinct for the win. You know, they've, they've got like a real appetite for it and they can spot opportunities and potential. And they have an ability, especially in mountain biking, that's, you know, as much skills based as it is fitness based now to up their game on the race day and really just have that. I'm going to click my fingers, but it's going to wreck the podcast, so I won't do it. That sharpness, that real snappy kind of precision of line choice and knowing when to pedal, knowing when to not brake. And it's it's incredible to watch. And it, it it's I think it's that inspiration. It's it's just the seeing how they do it at the top level. And it, you know, it translates to to the road. And you know, you can watch the guys when they're doing a sprint finish at the very end. And it's knowing when to attack that exact moment and having the power, the resource, the fitness, the motivation, the drive. And, you know, that kind of drive and motivation maybe translates to your to your average cyclist like like we all are to get out, like Simon said, instead of two days a week, go out for two more, do four days a week. You know, there's your inspiration. There's maybe what you can learn is how to be that driven and motivated. I mean, Simon, you... Your, your sort of racing is quite a technical discipline on the road. It's time trialling. And obviously, w- there's another podcast you can listen to, uh, Tour de France Special, about time trialling um, and, and uh, how we see the sort of the, the, the decline of time trials in the Tour de France. Well worth a listen. But Simon, you know, you're a time trialist. Do you watch the Tour de France time trial or any professional time trial and gain anything from it about position, about equipment, about pacing or do you just watch it and go i'm enjoying this because this is a this is an event you know yeah so there's always the time trial days are always very interesting because obviously at the tour de france in particular the biggest race of the year you know riders and teams will tend to bring the best equipment they can now they won't always have the best choice of equipment because they'll have to be sponsor correct a lot of the times but the eagle-eyed viewer can definitely pick out a few things that they can help optimize their own racing setup. So that is definitely one thing I would do. But I think, like Al says, the kind of the main takeaway from watching these sports is really learning what human beings are capable of. And I think for me, that's that's a kind of much much bigger one um, because. Yeah, like I say, sometimes the most interesting bike tech for time trials comes from smaller places where people are more willing to experiment with, you know, perhaps like the hour record or even, you know, kind of domestic level time trials because there's less on the line. People take a few more risks. And so you see more interesting things in those uh, than, than always at the Tour de France. But what you will always see at the Tour de France is the kind of best athletes in the world pushing themselves as hard as they can possibly push themselves. And there's just something incredible about that. I think, yeah, both of you sort of hit the nail on the head there. You, you sort of look at them, you look at professional bike riders and whatever event they're doing, but we're talking specifically about the Tour de France here, and you see their motivation 
and their dedication and it does make you feel like you know sort of makes you think am i as motivated i'm not going to be as motivated and dedicated as they are but how can i put that into my everyday cycling should i commute an extra day on my bike rather than get the bus should i go to the shops rather than drive to the shops those kind of things it's sort of if you can take that kind of motivation or should i enter the attack the tour when it's back on to find out just how far off them i am (laughs) it's a very long way i mean that's one of the most fascinating things isn't it the fact that you can again you can do a stage of the tour de france and realize that my god they're fast Yeah, fast and consistently fast as well over an incredibly long period of time. Yeah, Absolutely riding every day, pretty much yeah. every day for three weeks. It's quite an impre- it is a hugely impressive feat. Um, well, guys, thank you very much for that. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure we. I don't know if we did answer any if a, a big question. Um, it wasn't necessarily a really big question. I think we're probably all agreed now that you don't. As I said, you don't have to like the Tour de France if you're a cyclist, but you should give it a go. You should at least give it a go. I'm, you know, I'm going to give it another chance this year. I assume, Simon, you'll be glued to it. I imagine so. Uh, yeah, I'm just praying that it doesn't get called off midway through. But yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed, it will all be fine. And now, in between all the bike testing that you're doing for, for, for Bike Radar, you'll be... Yeah, uh, absolutely. Going to be setting up a third screen on my... Uh, two screen deep computer set up for when we're writing reviews so we can have the tour on the on the third one i mean that's the other thing it's quite a good background sort of telly isn't it you know it, you can it is it is something that you can have on in the background and you don't necessarily have to pay a huge amount of attention to but when something exciting happens it's like oh hello that that's good you can sort of dip in and out which are quite like because it's such a long you know it's such a long thing on most days um simon thank you very much thank you very much rob Alex, thank you very much. Thank you, Rob. And you, dear listener, of course, thank you very much. Um, If you like this podcast and you're not already subscribed, make sure you do subscribe wherever you are listening to us, obviously Apple or Android or any of the other platforms, Acast, let's uh, put a shout out for them as well. Um, And if you want to comment, head to our social media pages, drop us an email, all of these kind of things. And we uh, we hope that you join us again. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Bike Radar.